Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. I always ask, like, how can I help? Like, how can I help with whatever it is that you're doing right now? What are you trying to learn? Who are you trying to connect with? And so can I help you? And the most successful people in Silicon Valley, if you really look at them across the spectrum, are successful because of how they help others, not because of how rich they are or who they funded. Welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast, brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. Our community exists to create an ecosystem of support for engineering leaders. You, listening in, are a very important part of that. And this episode features two incredible models for what it actually means to build meaningful lifelong relationships and to create ecosystems of support for your community and network. And Dan Portillo and Jim Cook have so much that we can learn from to help us all continue to build a place where engineering leaders can meaningfully connect and find support. So let me introduce you to Dan and Jim. Jim Cook is the CFO at Orbital Insight and has scaled some of Silicon Valley's most iconic brands. Companies like Intuit, Netflix, Mozilla. He was one of the first finance hires at Intuit. He was one of the original six founding members at Netflix. He also launched the Benchboard Executive Network, which is a leadership network and knowledge sharing network for operational executives. Dan Portillo is the managing partner and founder at Sweat Equity Ventures. He was a former talent partner at Greylock. And to tease some networking intrigue here, one of the longest times that he went from first trying to recruit someone to finally closing them was 15 years. 15 years. Can you even imagine? Dan and Jim cover why you should focus on giving first, the impact of vulnerability and lowering your guard, how to break down power dynamics during networking meetings, how to prepare for important introductions, and so much more. Enjoy our conversation with Jim Cook and Dan Portillo. Jim, Dan, thank you both so much for joining us. Welcome to the summit. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks. It was great. Take it away. Wonderful. How you doing, Jim? Long time. Good, Dan. How are you? We didn't mention this. So so I've known Jim for, I guess it's got to be coming on 18 years. So we joined Mozilla. He was one of the few people that was at Mozilla before I was. I think Mozilla was about 20 people and Jim was, was already there. And I would say that there's two people that have had the most profound impact on my career. And it's it's Jim and John Lilly, who is the CEO of Mozilla and, and my partner at Greylock. And a lot of like learning how to be an executive, I learned from Jim. So grateful to get to to get to spend time with him on this one. So we we had a conversation about this, about the foundations of of network. And I don't really consider myself a networker. I don't, I don't like I am a bit of an introvert. I don't like going to conferences and walking around and talking to big groups of people. A lot of the focus has always been on individual relationships. 
And we talked a lot about the foundation of like, how do you build relationships? And so Jim, I wanted to just ask you of like, what are the lessons that you learned from like Netflix or earlier in your career and that how that transitioned to how you work with companies now and how you work with people and individuals? Yeah, no, thanks. And Dan, I just wanted to say thank you for inviting me here and thanks to ELC. But you know, I all of us, we were introduced as experts at this, right? Experts at networking. And I kind of took a deep breath and said, well, I haven't always been an expert. In fact, I didn't know how to do this relationship thing when I first started out. And I will say that I'm still working on it. And so I think that's important is that relationships are, you know, for me, it's all about relationships. And I learn from everyone I, I interact with and including you, Dan. So, so thanks, because I've I, I watched you do what you do. I, I too, believe it or not, am also an introvert to an extent, but I've learned to be more of an extrovert. And so I think just what I've learned and, and what just keeps reminding me is that relationships come first, right? You can't do anything. And it's weird to say that from a CFO seat, but relationships have to come first because relationships are the foundation of trust. And without trust, you really can't do anything in your personal life or business. So I'll pause there. And that's kind of the theme of, of where I've come at it. And relationships have to do with being vulnerable. And that's a weird thing coming from a CFO and from an introvert. It's hard to be vulnerable. But it's hard just to be casual and to share as much as you can without any expectations of getting something back. And when you can do that, it's amazing the power that you get from that because people want to help you. If you help them, they want to help you. I would say like there's for, if you remember nothing from this, go buy Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, because it really is a foundational like book on, on realizing like how do you kind of build and maintain relationships over time. I think I started my career in recruiting, as I mentioned, joined Mozilla when it was about roughly 20 people. I think for most of that time, a lot of the interactions were were fairly transactional of like when you're looking to recruit someone, you're both selling and evaluating. And I know everyone's having a, hel a hell of a time recruiting right now, but it, and we would go that, and I do a reasonable job of connecting with people, but it was still a transaction of trying to figure out if they were going to be a good person for Mozilla or one of the companies that were working for. And the transition for me really happened as I went to, to Greylock and moved into venture where I have probably met and interacted one-on-one -on -one with at least 30 new people a week for the past 10 years. And so I had a pretty big network going into Greylock from my time at Mozilla, but within one year, like it doubled. And within two years, it doubled again and created this really like exponential growth and connection. And to this day, like I'll have people that I talked to years ago that'll say like, hey, like you were amazing at helping me with X, Y, and Z. And I don't remember that conversation, but like the mechanics of actually connecting with someone that you're meeting new of how to like not make it feel transactional was, was like massively impactful. And Jim, I'd love to ask of like how you approach things, but I have, whenever I meet someone new, whenever I go meeting, I will go, I'll look at their LinkedIn, I'll look who we know in common, I'll look at where they worked. And I usually, before we even get into introductions, we end up in like a bit of like a dialogue and conversation that's very kind of social. And then I usually have to wait, like, wait, 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 it's been five minutes. Like we should probably actually do like the formal introductions and give our backgrounds. And so the ability, like the faster you can connect in the beginning of a conversation with someone, the more it kind of disarms the conversation and allows you to learn a lot more. And so to this day, I, I go without a lot of intent. Like when I'm talking to someone, there's usually, 
you know, maybe I want them to be a customer for one of our portfolio companies, or maybe I want them to join one of our portfolio companies. But my focus is always on learning as much as I can about the individual. And, and I'll preface things which like, I may or may not have something that's interesting for you today or tomorrow or five years from now. But before I kind of like pitch you on something or share something with you, I really want to know about you and what makes you tick and what you're interested in. Because what I was going to suggest may make no sense at all, or like may not be relevant at all. And I think for people that are actively recruiting, right, like there's certain things that you can do and that I do with with individuals to say, you know, here's a, I'm like, I will do my best to educate you on my company or what you want to do. Like fundamentally, I think you should make the right decision. And I'm, I'm happy to introduce you either to people that I've worked with in the past or other companies or other venture capital firms, because what we have may not be right for you. And so I think if you're able to connect with people on having their interest or feeling like having them feel like they have their interest in mind, they will like lower their guard a bit and help you and then allow you to build a better connection. So you can then kind of pitch them on what you're, what you're doing. So I'll, I'll stop there. Cause I've been blathering for way too long, but back to my original question, Jim, of like, as you're now meeting new, new people for, we meet someone for the first time, how do you actually structure that? I, I do it very similarly the way that, that you just described. And you, you kind of had me with, the word that you just used, lower your guard. Because as you said those words, I thought to myself, wow, I have had to unlearn many of my past biases. You know, I come from the finance world. You know, when I started work 30 years ago, it was some people were in ties and business shirts. And in my world, you know, everything was about being professional, being credible, and and to have your guard up, right? And and what Dan is talking about is, especially in Silicon Valley and somewhat unique to Silicon Valley, is this concept of letting your guard down first, connecting first, and then getting to business. And I've had to learn this and continue to remind myself, and I've gotten a lot better at it, but, and I've watched people do this, very successful people. So the tip and trick I would give everybody is see who does it really well in your own networks, at your own companies, at events. And copy from the best. Look for patterns. Look for match pattern matches of what they're doing to connect with people if you're not as good at it. That's what I did. I was like, oh, you know, that 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 CMO of marketing or my CEO, how did they do that? How did they connect with people? And you can look for patterns and you can practice them. It's like anything else. You almost have to practice them. And the one practice is letting your guard down. I remember when I first got to Silicon Valley Bank. As a, you know, not I didn't work Silicon Valley Bank, but as a client, I, I didn't understand how they operated. But but over the years, I realized they operated with this relationship first. They would invite me to events, and I thought I was going to get this big pitch, use the bank, do this, do that. No, they would literally get up on stage and say, "We just gathered everybody here together because you guys are all cool, and magic's going to happen here, and we have no agenda." And I was like, "What the heck's going on?" And I realized that that's kind of how Silicon Valley works. And I've used that as an example because they continue to do that and they go relationship first and they just know that they can mold that into what needs to happen once people can let their guard down and trust each other. So you had me at let your guard down, Dan. So that was awesome. Yeah, I think it's it's a little bit daunting to get used to just like talking to people and, and striking up conversation. And I think a lot of what I've picked up over the years is to basically like I have a, a very like particular like tactic or not tactic. So if I'm meeting like a new founder, I'll focus a lot on like 
my background more as a a sense of like here's a set of stuff I've done that's been like valuable and like I'm happy to talk about my time like working with the White House, the USDS, or like getting started at Mozilla, or like when was early at Greylock and helping that to the extent of where are you are and how can I help you in any particular way. I actually don't talk much about what I'm doing with Sweat Equity now, especially with founders, and I have them like tease that out instead of of like you that so like really focusing on the set of things that are hopefully most valuable to to that individual so that you can then provide some sort of awareness or education or something directly to that individual. And we all have things in our expertise and background that we can do. And then one of the the things that I that I talked to Jim about was earlier in my career, everyone that I spoke to was more valuable. Like that interaction was way more valuable to me than than it was to them. And at some point in your career, like that value will shift, like will switch where like your interaction to them is more valuable than your interaction to you. And like what I would then recommend is like some people kind of turn to jerks at that point and stop interacting with other people or, or people that they view as being beneath them, which is a colossal mistake. And so part of what you really want to do is continue to invest in not just the people that know more than you, but the people that are kind of coming up because you never know when that intern is the new CEO of like some massive company in the future. I guess I wanted to ask you, like Jim, how do you view building like the authentic relationships and, and, and trust like over time? And, and so we've had them, I mean, we've known each other for 18 years, but how have you kind of focused on building that skill? Yeah, I love how we kind of think in the same terms and finish each other's conversations. My own personal litmus test is exactly what you just described, which is the more experience you get, and I think we have a bunch of engineering managers on this call, the more successful you get as an engineering manager or any walk of life, the more there's a disconnect between those coming up, like the interns you said, and the more successful you are, the more gap you're creating in this, in this oh, wow, it's, it's Dan Portillo. And I've had this, and it, it really embarrasses me because I'm from the West. It's like, oh, Jim, you, you're from Intuit. You're from Netflix. It's like, I don't want to ask you this question. It's like, so you have to work harder and harder at breaking that barrier because people have these biases going into the conversation. Like, look, I'm just Jim Cook. I eat chips and salsa like everybody else, right? I spill it on my shirt like everybody else. So work at that to make it a safe space for those people who may be intimidated by the conversation because it's only then that you can get to that authentic conversation and help each other out, right? If they're so in awe of you, they're not gonna get to the real question. And on the other side, my own personal litmus test for those assholes is who, who have made it, who don't wanna give you the time of day is, it's your choice to whether you wanna engage with those folks as well. And I would probably say it's probably not worth the time and effort to engage. There's plenty of folks who aren't like that who, who want to have those real, real relationships. So, you know, I'm not sure I would spend a lot. I, I personally don't spend a lot of time with those folks, even though they're so much more successful than I am. Yeah, I, I think that there's a couple, like for a lot of folks right now, they're probably interviewing, like pretty, like interviewing a lot of candidates. And so a lot of people will try and focus on, on that power dynamic. And so how do you break it so it does not feel like a power dynamic with the individual if you're interviewing them, like someone that's trying to come into your to your company? So you're able to you know, get into the technical questions and the evaluation, everything you would do there. There's this one thing that I learned from John Lilly, which is like the question that he would always ask that I've since adopted, which is 
I always ask like, how can I help? Like, how can I help with whatever it is that you're doing right now? What are you trying to learn? Who are you trying to connect with? And so can I help you? And so I think over the decades, like I have, I have built up a bunch of credits, like with people that I've helped so that at, at some point, if I ever need to like cash them in, like I can. And Jim has like infinite credits for me, with me for the amount of time that, that you've helped me over the years. Vice versa. I, I love the concept of credits, right? I love this concept of of just help first. I think my mom always used to say, you know, if whatever you give back to the world, you'll get back three times um, in return. And she's she was right. I think she told me that when I was six years old, and I still remember it. And so I think this is why Dan and I and others get along because you kind of go with help. Like, and, and the more successful you get, obviously, the more you can help because the more you know and the more people you know. And the most successful people in Silicon Valley, if you really look at them across the spectrum, are successful because of how they help others, not because of how rich they are or who they funded. There are several examples of people who funded companies who are just, and I'm going to use the word again, assholes, who aren't really successful in Silicon Valley because no one wants to do anything, have anything to do with them. And there are others example of people who maybe haven't made it all the way or they're not, you know, not, not from an income standpoint, but just like, man, that person's successful. They just, every time I turn to them, they help me. And so I think that's so important. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. I think having valuable interactions with people. So it's not like you have to send someone a Christmas card or a holiday card or like know their birthday or have a calendar where you reach out like every quarter, like that's actually not really required. Like what really matters is to have that when you do interact, that it's a very high quality interaction and that like one, you're helpful Two, you actually have a meaningful conversation that they hopefully remember. So, you know, you come back, a year later or two years later that they're willing to take the call again. A lot of that, I think, has come like over the years of learning how to just interact authentically with with someone and to take an active interest in, in them and a human and like the set of things that, that make them tick. And uh, I'll try and do some tactical things as well of like one other question that I always use is like, look, I've read your LinkedIn profile, but I always like to hear people's story. Like, tell me, like, tell me your... Tell me, like, tell me your, tell me the whole story. Like, tell me you got here. Like, where were you? Like, oh, I first started, I went to blah, blah, blah school. I'm like, no, where were you born? Like, where did you grow up? And then, and then having them and then asking like really good questions about what they've done in the past and really getting to figure out like, which were those, those moments or those career moments that that had the most impact on you. And I think there's there's some interesting things that you can do around mistakes that you've made or or things that you got wrong and how you got them wrong. And Jim, I don't know if you have any examples or I don't mean to put you on the spot of like like a clear mistake or like this learning moment that 
that shows like some vulnerability that you're able to kind of share with people that you're coaching or working with? So, so first of all, I believe that, you know, you don't move forward unless you make a ton of mistakes and I've made a ton of mistakes. And I think one of the biggest mistakes I've made just in a meta sense is this concept of burning of burning bridges. And Dan, you and I have talked about this, like the more you get connected to people, by definition, not all these conversations are going to be positive. The more you deal with people and the more like you're going to have differences of opinions. When you have differences of opinions or someone pisses you off, because even when you get to friendships, right, business colleagues aren't necessarily friendships, but, you know, we're humans, we have emotions. And don't let those emotions get in the way of the relationship. So the mistakes that I've made is in a couple instances, I have let my emotions and my ego get in the way and, and told the person or, or told other people, you know, about this one instance, which, which clouded the whole relationship, which wasn't fair to me. It wasn't fair to them. And I've learned never to do that again because the value is small and, and the benefits far outweigh any pain points you might have with that person and stay connected because like anything else, everybody only shoots eight out of 10 shots on goal. I'm going to piss people off two out of 10 times. So is every one of my connections. That's not the point. So yeah, I've made that mistake personally. And I would just encourage people to not burn bridges because anyway, I know Dan, you have a lot to say on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's very easy to like get, if you're upset to like hit the nuclear button and like really like tell someone off for, and, and it's not that you shouldn't have standards or morals or and definitely you should speak up when you see something wrong. But I would say, aside from my family, like the thing that I value most is my reputation. And so, and I guard that like with, with my life and that no matter the interaction, whether it's with a portfolio company or a candidate or just a random person that I'm meeting, that focus on always being above board always doing my best to do the right thing and acting with integrity is like the single best way to like have a network that values you and will support you and do good things for you. If you're like, they know that like you, that you're willing to, to do the same. Yeah. I mean, it's about aligning interest and, and really comes back to trust for me. I mean, we started this conversation with trust, but everything you're talking about is building and maintaining trust. And if you build that foundation, then you can get commitments from people. And when you can get commitments from people, then you can actually do some great things, right? And so, but you can't get commitments from people if they don't trust you or they want to do something for you. And so people skip the relationship thing a lot, but it's almost like the foundation of your house. If you don't have it, you're not going to be that successful in building your networks. Any technical things on your side? And like, how do you bring like your, like now you do a lot of coaching with like CFOs, CEOs. And imagine like for coaching to work effectively, the relationship really has to be good. Like from, from the get-go. Any specific tactics that like you, like from coaching world that you would use or that you could recommend other people could use and as they're, as they're building relationships with people? Well, first of all, build relationships one-on-one using the techniques we described. But a really great tactic is to be the glue for helping them create their own networks as well. So once you get good at understanding that the power of the network is everything, then ask permission to bring the one-on-one people you have a relationship with to, would you mind if I introduce you to somebody else and let's have a group conversation here? Because here's, here's the thing, having group conversations is way more powerful than having one-on-one conversations. 
And everyone seems to me, at least the pattern matching I've done, is so appreciative when you can expand their network with your network and vice versa. And so always remembering that you've got other people that are smarter than you and saying, why don't we bring this person to the conversation, that person conversation? Guess what? Next time you have a conversation one-on-one -on -one to do the back to the one-on-one -on -one thing, they're going to remember that you're always bringing somebody else to the conversation and how valuable that connection is. So I guess that's the tip or trick for me is it's not always one-on-one. -on -one, it's how can everyone help everyone, right? And I, I would say like other tactically is like just interact with not that certain people are low quality, but just be very deliberate about who you spend time with and who you help and connect, right? So there's, I want to be very open with my network, but I want to make sure that that person is the right person to give that connection to. And so like, you know, Jim and I worked with the now CTO of Facebook, like Shrep, we've known him for 20 years. It's like, there's plenty of people that say like, hey, can I get an intro to, to, to Shrep? But like, you want to be very selective. That doesn't mean you just do anything everyone asks. Like you just have to be selective in how you, you apply that because a good way to burn your network is to like make kind of bullshit introductions that like waste other people's time. So there's the, another tactical thing that I would say is like respect other people's time. That means like not having to have conversations go way longer, not taking up their time with like weak and like introducing them to like to people that are probably shouldn't get that that level of introduction and to be just respectful that that like you know they're willing to like spend time with you and that doesn't necessarily have to be more senior people that, that could be even candidates that you're interviewing to be like hey their their time is a gift and they're kind of giving it to you and to always be respectful of that yeah i totally resonate with that dan and, and what i resonate with that is it's almost like the empathy question of Make sure that when you're introducing people in your network, what's in it for them as well. Should be in the back of your mind and be very open and honest about that on both sides. I think just in general, I think a lot of times I tell people, yeah, I'm not sure that's a great idea to introduce. Can I get an introduction to John Lee or whatever? And it's like, well, I'm not really sure at that stage yet. And I'm very upfront with like, I, you know, I, I like to respect John's time. So until we get this to a certain stage that he can do something with, I'm going to hold off on the introduction. I just tell him that. Yeah. Well, I think it's like, you're not ready for that intro yet. Like, right. That, and I've done, I've done, definitely done that with you. And then Patrick, you're welcome to come back for, for Q and A, but I, I've definitely had that conversation of you get one shot at this conversation. And so you need to be ready when you have it, that you could actually kind of take full advantage of it. So like, you should probably go and practice with like a few more people before, before you go and have that one. That was an incredible point. It was I think it's really hard to tell people no for an introduction, or I find that I tend to avoid even responding to something like that. How do you get people to prepare for that conversation, Dan? You said you've got one shot. What's like? What's the coaching you give people to to help them get the most out of that shot? Yeah, if like you're, if you're like, it happens a lot with like fundraising of like someone's like getting their company started and like they want to get that first customer or they want to go and, and and talk to like a particular investor. I'd be like, you need to practice your pitch or like go practice with like these three investors of like investors in air quotes over here before you go like for the big one, like you need to have like your knife sharpened or like let's practice your pitch or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. 
before before you make that introduction because like if i make an introduction and it goes poorly like that reflects on me and so i want to be very cautious of doing that awesome thank you so we had one, one question that came in was how do you prioritize helping others while still maintaining focus on what you need to do for yourself and your business? Jim, do you have any any thoughts or, or Dan about how to how to make that balance? You know, honestly, it's just a conscious time management effort. It's almost like anything else on your calendar. If you don't make time for it, it won't happen. So you almost have to consciously make time to, back to my example of, I have a note post-it notice like, can this be a group network event versus a one-on-one -on -one coaching? I, I do a lot of the same modules over and over again. And I have, I have to remind myself, I think more than one person needs to hear this. Let's turn this into a panel talk because it seems to be a pattern match. But then you have to make time to remember to ask yourself that question and actually calendarize it. I probably have between 50 and 60 meetings a week. Like I, I think I did almost 70 meetings one week. It was, it was that, that one almost broke me. And so I, I do spend a lot, a lot of time, but I also am like very cognizant of looking at my calendar and of those meetings, like how many, like were any of them not a good use of, of my time? And so I think I'm now kind of trained myself that yes, I'm going to meet a lot of people, but it always has to be a pretty good use of my time. And there's, there's varying like degrees of help that you can offer. And so there's certain things that you can do by just making an email introduction or like that doesn't require that much amount of time, but creates a huge amount of value. So you have to be like, if something's like a really heavy lift, like then it needs to be well worth it, right? That, that you're like, all right. And then, and, and you make it aware, but like, look, that is, that is not an easy ask. And so it might take a while, but you know, the more you can do like via email or, or provide value in seconds versus minutes or hours is is ideal i mean like granted to be fair like i've now i've been working since like the web van days of the internet so i got started in 99 and just like the benefit of being here and for so long just makes it very easy to go do that so people that are early in their career they don't they don't have that same or if they're in a job that doesn't touch as many people as as mine does but like figuring out the opportunity that like we're gonna have dedicated time to to be able to like make new connections and like start with the people that are already around you and then and then start to expand from there. I'll, I'll add a very pertinent example on, on Reed Hoffman. I would encourage everybody to search or Google search how to interact with me by Reed Hoffman. You'll find it. I don't know how to search that word, but he's got a great article about how you need to interact with Reed. And it starts with what do you, you know, make sure you know what you want and what you're asking for and how I fit into the equation. You have to be very deliberate about that. So search that out. It's a great, article. That's what Dan's talking about. Yeah, that sounds like a really powerful framework just to carry into almost any conversation for folks is, is doing that due diligence ahead of time into that to be a great way to help make sure it's a really good use of your time. Know what you want, know what the next step is. That's great. Wow. Dan, Jim, thank you both so much. That's all the time we have for, for questions, but thank you so much for sharing your perspective, your practices, your life stories. And I think the frameworks to allow people to build really rich relationships that open up opportunities and, and impact within their communities and their relationships. So thank you both so much for your time and insights. Thank you for having me. Thank you all. We'd like to give a special thanks to Mesmer, the exclusive accessibility partner of the Engineering Leadership Podcast. Mesmer's AI bots automate mobile app accessibility testing to ensure your app is always accessible to everybody. 
To jumpstart your accessibility and inclusion initiative, visit mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. You can also follow the link in our show notes. That's mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. Or you can also follow the link in our show notes. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.